Hun, I'll take this one. Oh, I called her Hun because this is my wife. So just in case <laughs> guys are like, I'm not uh, a... Thanks. Okay. I always have to clarify that. Babe. All right. I spotted her over nine years ago, and somehow she married me. So, amen. Amen for, for me, not for her. Uh, well, hopefully you guys are doing well. I don't know if, uh, I guess uh, Satan decided to use the Paramus run today to detour everybody. So, uh, including me, actually, just a quick story. I, I thought today would be a wonderful opportunity for me to, you know, have some time with my son, uh, show him how I review for my sermon, and then bring him in nice and early and check him in like I never, ever get to do because Kristen was singing. And so I left almost an hour ago or more. And I literally just rolled in like 10 minutes ago because I tried every last uh, way to get in through the back roads and couldn't. So uh, thanks, guys, for fighting through that spiritual battle just to literally get in here and uh, for us to be together uh, is a joy. I'm sure uh, many more are stuck trying to figure out the loop. So um, glad we can still be here to worship. If you have a burden, kids that are being taught, you guys can head out the back to the classroom. And um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't have a Bible, we always can get, we give Bibles in the back um, that are on that desk where we walk welcome you guys to take one, keep one. That's our gift to you uh, that you can have just to read through it and see it. Um, and I'm going to kind of explain what's going to be happening for the next four to five weeks, and then don't worry, we're going to be getting right back into uh, the book of Luke. Um, first, I want to give you just an update. Um, there are a lot of reasons that I, that I love this church, um, uh, but one of the, namely, a big reason I love this church is because you guys are, are so generous, and uh, it has just been so encouraging to see you guys see needs and, and give to the least of these and give to things that matter, and uh, so just wanted to update you. You know, last week we spoke to Pastor Wilson, wanted to give him uh, an offering. We took a special offering that wanted to send him to get uh, supplies, to get food, to get uh, rebuilding churches and people's homes, and uh, we were able to send him over seventeen thousand uh, dollars this week, so that deserves an applause. That's that's a, amen. That's super super encouraging. Um, so I think you all gave um, almost uh, eight thousand on that Sunday last Sunday, and then we wanted to just match that uh, as a church. So uh, we're thrilled to be able to partner with him. He he wrote me this week, and uh, he is just so so thankful. Uh, so thankful for uh, just the ways that God is uh, using us to advance the kingdom through an extension of the body to him. So know that he is deeply grateful and uh, we're thankful to be a part of it in that way. So uh, let's just quiet our hearts again because I know that we've got a lot of things happening. I have a lot of things happening in my head with having come in off the highway and some of you guys uh, wandering in after a crazy morning just trying to get here. So uh, let's ask God to be gracious, God to be kind, God to, to speak. Father, thank you that your word is perfect, that it's the only perfect thing that exists that we have, that it perfects us as we see it and as we hear it. Father, we ask that, that you'd be glorified through the teaching of your word, that people would be avid listeners, that we'd be expectant and prayerful as to what you might say. God, thank you that we have your fullest revelation, God, in the written word and also in the fleshly word of your son, Jesus. So God, might we enjoy both of those things this morning. God, give us clarity, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I don't know what happened. I just all of a sudden started getting feedback like halfway into talking. So I don't know if there's an adjustment that needs to happen on the mic. But um, here's what we're going to do. The next uh, four to five weeks, we're going to be discussing what is known as the rhythms of worship. Now, now here's why we're doing this. Um, Normally, our primary diet is that we take a book of the Bible and we just walk through it, plow through it, verse by verse, line by line, because we want to see all that God wants to say through us in his word. And so um, we're going to keep doing that. But there are sparing times where we want to discuss things that we think are deeply applicable and helpful to us as a family. And so one of the things we're going to do is um, talk about what are the things that we do here um, as a church when we gather and why do we do them? Now, I think this is profoundly important. So um, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter. Uh, What matters is that you kind of understand what's behind all that you see happening here on Sunday mornings. And so um, there's a number of them. And if you've been coming for any length of time, you know we say this, that if you're visiting, this is a worship service and we worship Jesus, who is God's Son, and we worship Jesus a number of ways. We worship through sitting under the preached word, right? We worship Jesus by singing songs that declare who he is and what he's done. We worship Jesus by giving generously because he gave most generously in his son. We, get, we worship Jesus by prayer. We worship Jesus by all these different things. So I want to talk about why we do those things and why they're worship. Okay, because I'm hoping that the next couple of weeks won't just be informative but transformative for you. Okay, and what, what that means is that you're not just learning some some cute ideas, but that it's actually transforming the way that you see us as a people together and the way that you understand what we're doing together as the people of God. And so um, let me just give you just in general, just my idea of worship, my idea, but what I see in the scriptures. And just so you know, we're going to be going through a lot of verses this morning. Uh, So if you want, you can just write down the references as we go through them so you guys can pick them back later and and kind of look at them. Uh, Because we're going to look at just a general sense this morning as to why is preaching central to what we do here? Okay, because I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, how come we come in and almost half of our time is spent by listening to someone talk about the Bible? Like, why, why does that matter? Why don't we just come in together, gather around tables, eat crumb cake, and sip tea, like, and talk? Why, why can't we do that? Why is this distinct? Why does this matter? Why is this central to everything that we will do as a people when we gather? Why does the preaching, the heralding of God's word matter? Why is it necessary? And so here, let me first tell you that, because when we think about worship, I know almost probably 95% of us are thinking singing, right? Oh, well, well, this is not the worship part, the worship part when, that we just finished. And worship is not just the singing, worship is the preaching, worship is the giving, worship is the praying, worship is the, the acts of all that we do to declare that God has worth and value and enjoy him. Okay, and so here's what happens. Worship in its broadest sense is something that we do in, or are supposed to do as Christians in every area of our life. Right? It's all to be done for God's glory. You see lots of texts in the Bible that say no matter what you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So there's something about preaching, something about singing, something about being generous, something about praying, something about uh, doing all of these things. It's actually an act of worship. It actually gives God, declares God the worth and worship he deserves. So when we get together like this corporately as a family, we're actually declaring together his worth and enjoying that worth that he has. Okay, so this is all of life. So understand right now we are worshiping God. It didn't stop when you stopped singing and standing. It's actually continuing. Now I want to talk about why worship matters, why worship is central. Now um, the reason that we spend almost half of our time listening to someone talk about the Bible is because, number one, we believe God discloses himself in the 66 books that are called the scriptures. 
right? So we believe that, that this book right here is not um, some thoughts about God by human beings, but, but God's word to us as human beings, right? We don't believe that, that this book is, is human speculation about what God might be like. We believe that this is actually divine revelation from God as to what he is like, right? We don't believe that this is just some opinion about what God might look like or think like. We believe that this is what God has given us to disclose himself. Now, we don't have time to dig into, get into the authority of the scriptures and, and, and why we trust it as sufficient. You could actually check a sermon out called, we went through our identities on, on being word-driven. That'll actually explain for you and, and flesh out much more as to why we believe this is an authoritative book, why we can trust it. At the end of the day, we trust it because the Bible affirms it for itself, Right, And then there's, there's many of other reasons and things that we do that we don't have time for today. So here we're going to stick to why preaching. Why does, why does this matter, what's happening right now? And here, here's the, the first thing I want us to get. Just basic, out of the gate, number one. If you read the scriptures, if you look at your Bible, one of the most profound things you will see from Genesis 1 to the end in Revelation 22 is that God is a God who speaks. And because God speaks, it totally sets him apart. He's utterly unique. He is a God of the Bible who actually wants to talk and communicate with all that he's made. This is a profound truth about the God of the Scriptures. That he's a God that actually talks and communicates with his people. And so understand, for Israel in the Old Testament, this was a mind-bending truth. Because all the pagan tribes that surrounded Israel, they had gods. They had gods that they worshipped. But the one thing their God couldn't do, he apparently acted, he apparently intervened, but he never spoke. And so here you'll see this. If you read Isaiah, I think it's like chapters 40 to 45. There's like a, a span of chapters in Isaiah where, where uh, God basically calls out all the pagan gods of, of neighboring tribes, and he calls them out on one particular profound realization, and that's that they can't talk. They don't communicate. Look at just this right here, Isaiah 41, 22. You'll see God goes after Israel for turning to these idols of their neighbors. That is just silliness because they can't speak to them. He says this in, in chapter 41, verse 22. He says, let them bring them. In other words, bring in the gods, right? Bring in all the neighboring gods of the neighboring tribes and do this and tell us what is to happen. Tell us of former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that your gods do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. God goes, okay, hey, hey guys, uh, tell us something. Right, he's telling the gods, hey, tell us something that's happened in the past. Hey, how about this, I'll make it easy, last night. Just tell me something that happened last night. Tell me something that's going to happen in the future. Tell me about future events that are going to occur. And what does God get? He gets silence. He gets silence from them because they can't, they can't speak. They were unlike God because they could not do that. So this is what God says when his demands are not met. In verse, chapter 44, verse 6, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. 
God goes, hey, there is no God like me because I speak. Because I declare things. I talk about things that will happen, things that have happened, and they actually come to pass. So all other gods are unlike me because I'm a God who fundamentally speaks, who communicates, who doesn't just act, doesn't just intervene, a God who actually talks to those who are his, talks to creation. I love this. And he says in here, you guys are my witnesses to this. I almost hear God saying, hey, you remember back in like Genesis chapter one? You remember the the ways I actually formed the world? How did I do it? I spoke. It was the word that came out of my mouth that said sun, planets, water, right? Genesis two, do you remember how I actually gave life into lifeless bodies? The breath of my mouth went into their lungs. And you, you can just keep tracking all the way through as you, as you look at all these different places. Um, I think about when they delivered out of slavery. I mean, what did God do, right? The, the way that he wanted to, to show his people who he was and who they were to be. Did he show them a picture? No, Moses is on Mount Sinai. What does he do? He gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He, he speaks to them and says, hey, this is what it looks like. This is my word. You get to the, 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 the times where there's the temple period and all the pagan temples inside the middle of the temple, they had basically where their God would worship, where his presence was. You know what was in the middle of every temple? A picture of their God. You know what was in the middle of the, the Hebrew temple, of the Israelites' temple? It wasn't a picture. It was a golden box, and inside the golden box was what? The Ten Commandments, which was his written word, which was his written law. I want you to remember what I've said. God has always been about communicating and speaking. It's always been a part of the ways that he deals with us. I thought about Adam and Eve in the garden. The intimacy they had with God, it wasn't so much that they saw God, it was that he talked to them. Right, I mean, and then what does he do with Abraham? The word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, hey, go to Canaan. Told him what to do. You have Samuel in the book of Samuel, where it actually says the word of the Lord had not been yet revealed to Samuel, so he didn't know God. So there's some aspect of you know God through seeing what and experiencing what he said through the word, right? So you have the word of God and knowing God being really tied together, which is a lot of what Michael was speaking about last week. And the primary way we know God is through his word. So there's this consistent consistent theme. Look at what God says through Moses after he gave them their law in Deuteronomy 32 on the screen, verse 46. Take heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law for it is no empty word for you but your very life. His words are literally Life. I think about in Ezekiel, one of those profound, you know, where he's speaking of the dry bones. And the word is actually bringing dead bones back to life. His word is actually what revives people who are dead in their sins, making them alive to Christ. Amazing. His words are, very life, are the very life. He's always ordered his people around the proclaiming of what he said. You have this in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, where all the people gather around. To hear what God said in Nehemiah chapter 8, you have Ezra in his elevated pulpit giving the word of the Lord, what God has wanted to say to his people. You have the prophets throughout the Old Testament just declaring to them what God has said, what he wants his people to know. You always have this. 
And if you just track through redemptive history, you get all the way down to Jesus' childhood where he stood and taught in the synagogue in Luke 4. We read about that a while ago. And then Jesus comes into the world. We're going to get to it a little bit as the word, the little word made flesh to teach us what God is like and to transform us. I mean, this is profound news for us. So, so the stage is being set from Genesis 1 that God wants to speak to his people and he's always set up the forming of his people around what he is going to say and what he's said. So we're seeing the stage has always been set for the word of God being central and the word of God always being the way God's people are shaped and formed. And we're going to see it happens through preaching. You just take a quick scan through the New Testament. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You see they devoted themselves to this in, in the early church. After the Holy Spirit falls, they assemble together. And look what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. So, so when they would assemble together, an act of the worship they had was listening to the apostles' teaching. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily mind-boggling or, or super intentional, but you see it first in the list of all the things that they do. They're devoted first to the teaching, to the ministry of preaching. Uh, you have the first sermon recorded, right, in Acts chapter 3, if you know your Bible. It's the most unsecretive sensitive sermon ever given. And the first megachurch is created, right, with 3,000 people. Peter basically gets up, right, filled with the Holy Spirit and says, hey, you guys all killed Jesus. And they're like, I want to repent. It's just amazing, right? Like, like not the way you'd think you could get a crowd. But he believes in the truth. He quotes from Psalm 16, Psalm 110, the prophet Joel. And then he basically just lays out the truth of, hey, this is the gospel. The Christ that you crucified is God. He rose again. He offers forgiveness of sin. Repent and turn to him. You'll find life. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find mercy. And what 3,000 do that? So you see in the first sermon that it's, it's just talking about God. It's talking about who he is and what he's revealed. And I love it. Peter in that, in, that, in that sermon, if you want to go back and read Acts 3, he's basically laying before them truths that otherwise would not have been known. Is that not what happens? Is that what we pray happens when God speaks? That you're learning something that may have been unknown, it's being made known to you? That's how we become Christians. I did not know that I was dead in my sin. I did not know that Jesus was the only rescuer and redeemer of sin and sinners. I did not know that God was the only one true God until God revealed himself and told me through a preacher, through somebody, and so now I can either believe that or reject that. That's what we see. Acts 5, verse 42 and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is a regular rhythm. You know, right before this, the apostles are thrown into prison, and then they're threatened, and they're, and they're beaten, and saying, hey, don't, don't preach Jesus as the Christ, and they leave, and what do they do? Acts 5.42, they just keep preaching Jesus as the Christ. Go to the next slide for me, Acts 5. Is it there? Okay, not there. So they leave and they rejoice. You're going to see this theme. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 18. Listen to what this says when, when Paul writes to the church that is in Corinth. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For since the wisdom of God... 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Okay, so Paul is speaking about the preaching of the cross of Christ. So according to Paul, it's mere foolishness, right, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, the power of God here refers to those who are being literally saved from sin and those who are maturing and growing up in their walk with Christ. So, so preaching has content that matters. It's not just for the Christian, but the non-Christian. There, there's two things happening here. And so it's, it's connected to the message of the cross, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. So to Paul, no other preaching existed. If preaching is not connected to Jesus and Jesus crucified, it's not preaching. It's not faithful preaching. Right? So you have to have those things always interwoven together. And here he lays that out. He says, if it was anything other than preaching Jesus as the Christ, it's not true Preaching, And so this is the message the early church was resting upon, that Jesus was the Christ. Without the preaching of this message, no one would be saved, he says, because it's, fo- it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. So the church was centered on the act of preaching and content. We're gonna see a little bit more of that in, in a minute. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul, he, he's a faithful pastor that's ending his life, and he's talking to a young pastor, and, and he says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repu- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul, who's finishing well, tells a young pastor, he can tell him anything. If you do anything, Timothy, do this, preach the word. Just tell people what I've already said. I'm always, listen, I am just not smart. I'm really not. And and when I I talk to some people, like, man, I just don't know how you saw that. And I'm like, I'm just telling you what the word says. Like, I'm just telling you what God's already said. I'm not trying to make up something. If you got somebody who's making up something new or some clever new, new thing you've never heard before, you got to be a little concerned. Right? You want to just be able to say, okay, does, does the Bible say that? Is that what it's saying? Is that what it's clearly rolling out for me? And so he says, hey, just preach the word. Just say what it says. Good preaching just walks you through and tells you what God has already said to us. And I love this because before, if you read 1 Timothy, it's basically him laying before him why the word of God is sufficient, why it's good, the worth of the scriptures. And basically in light of that, he's saying in his second letter to Timothy, hey, now preach it. Tell people about it. Let them know how good I am. Let them know what I'm like. Let them know the character of me and my name and my infinite perfections. And let them know their state in their sin and the hope that can be found in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul pens a beautiful text about his own preaching ministry. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I'm sure many of us have read this passage, if if you've grown up in church, if you're a church person. Um, But this this is profound, because Paul's talking about his preaching ministry, and here he's actually laying before us a truth that I found just profound. To hear and receive preaching, he's saying, is to hear and receive God's appeal. <laughs> you got to think about that. 
you're actually hearing God's appeal through a fallible man. Right, so fallible mic, infallible word, right? You're actually hearing God's appeal being made to you through a human instrument. Through Paul, who was once a killer of Christians, he once hated everyone who claimed the name of Christ is saved, converted. God just saves him on the road to Damascus, and here he is getting up saying, hey, God's appeal is coming through me. Somebody used to hate him. I'm now making an appeal to you, which is really God's appeal saying, hey, be reconciled to God. What is that? It's saying mercy, grace, forgiveness, new life is to be had in Jesus. You can have it. Be reconciled to him. God's making an appeal through the preacher. That's his instrument used to call people into reconciliation with God. That's amazing. It's God's appeal. It's God's word. You're hearing God. What? Think about that. When you come in, do you believe that you're hearing God? I'm not God. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm saying God's word is God's word. And he is making appeals to his people, to those that are not yet his, through the avenue of preaching. That's how he does it. Amazing. That's why preaching is, preaching is not just giving a few thoughts about God. Right? It's not just laying before you some cute ideas about God. That's not what preaching is. Here we see in 2 Corinthians 5, preaching is basically proclaiming an authoritative message from the throne room of heaven. That is amazing. That is amazing that we get to look at that every Sunday together and see what the throne room of heaven wants to give out to us. That is amazing. That is profound. Look at this. Other profound text, Romans 10. I'm sure many of us know this. Paul's addressing the Romans and basically builds out God's plan for preaching here. Romans 10, verse 9. We're going to go through 17, just look at the central verses I want us to see. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's encouraging. That's hopeful, verse 14. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so, so Paul basically builds out the plan of God's plan for preaching. Now, he's talking about how God will continue to save the Israelites and the people of Israel. He's also talking about how it will ultimately go to Gentiles as well. And he's, he's giving this amazing, mind-blending, but yet logical process, right? Anyone can follow this. This isn't like, you know, if, if you have a PhD and get this. No, this is anyone can get this. And here's what he basically lays before us in here. He says, only those who call on the name of the Lord. Now, we got to be careful here because we've seen this text just abused, right? Well, I just got to say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. I'm locked into heaven. I got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. No. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you have an accurate understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what he is like, you come to him on his terms. 
Right? You, have a, you, have a, you have a clear cognitive understanding of God, of Christ. I, I believe that. He is holy. I am not. I need to repent. I need to turn to him. He is, he is Lord. He is master. He buys me. I don't just have him as my cute friend that drives around the car with me and I ask him ideas about life. Like That's not him. He is my master. I'm bought with a price, the price of his own blood. Okay, once you understand that, if you confess him as Lord and you believe in your heart, then the truths of the gospel that he died for you, that he paid his debt for you, that he rose again, validating it all, you can be saved. And then he says, but no one can do that if they don't believe. And no one can believe unless they hear about it. And no one can hear about it unless someone tells them, unless someone preaches to them. Amazing. So God has this whole plan laid out. If there is no preaching then men and women cannot believe. And if they can't believe, they cannot call on him. And if they cannot call on him, they cannot be saved. Just read it, right? You can just see it right there. Now here's what, what a statement. Here's what I believe this would tell us, is that you are not saved through some mysticism Aestheticism, yoga class, right? No one, you're not gonna find no one in child's pose going, I can't believe I just found Jesus, right? It's just not gonna happen. Like not through your, some mystical, meditative, whatever. No one's gonna find Jesus. He's showing there has to be a clear message about who Jesus is and who you are for someone to actually have belief, saving belief. This is why preaching is necessary, This is why preaching isn't just necessary for us to become a Christian, it's necessary for us to grow up as a Christian into Christ. So you've heard all the time, who is it, Keller who says the the gospel's not just A to B, it's A through Z, right? You've got this reality for us that we continue to hear it, continue to be shaped and formed by Jesus is the Christ. It's amazing, right? So, So here he's showing us there's a clear message that precedes saving faith. Now, we don't have time to get into, is this not why we want to pray for Pastor Wilson and ICM and people that are going into places that are remote to people that need to hear the good news of the message because they have to call on something that they hear and they have to hear on something that they can believe. They have to believe in something that somebody tells them and how are they going to hear and believe and call on if someone isn't sent to do it. So preaching is very important. God's point is he's going to send preachers. He's going to send people to tell people about this. And then look at the content, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. I know this is a lot. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul writes to this church at Corinth and he goes, hey guys, I need to remind you of something. And, and it's amazing as he says, I need to remind you of something. He, he says, I want this to be the thing you never forget and you never move away from. And he says, it's what I've always said to you, and it's this gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died and Jesus rose so that you and I could have right standing before God, not by our works, not by our skill, not by our morality, but by solely the righteous work of Jesus Christ alone. 
right? That's what we see here. Only by the cross. That's the good news. The good news is that all that you are secured in into God's grip is done by nothing that you do but everything that God in Christ does, right? We celebrate that because then we know the good news is not about us being more moral, more skillful, more nice, more appropriate. The good news is that when we were sinners, Christ died for us and reconciled us to himself through nothing that we did. So on the day of celebration before the throne room, we celebrate him, we boast in him, we declare him as worthy and not us as worthy at all, yet counted worthy in the cost of what his son did for us. It's amazing. And he goes, I'm not only reminding you of this gospel, this is of first importance. I find that, I find that amazing. I mean, like, I know, that's, I know that's true, but you got a guy, Paul, who wrote over 75% of the New Testament going, out of everything I've unpacked for you, of everything I've ever said to you, out of anything I've ever rolled out before you, through tongues, gifts, belief, prophecy, out of everything, you know, community service, social justice, acts of mercy, hey, if there's anything I've said, this is what you take your flag and stick it in the ground on, that Jesus Christ is God, that he alone saves sinners. You better talk about that if you talk about anything anything. I mean, this is, this is powerful from Paul. And he's going, hey, you, you know, I'm just, I'm just a broken record. You guys remember when I came to you in Corinth and wrote to you, man, I just can't shut up about this. This is all I've ever said to you. This is the meat and potatoes. So the content needs to be there because not all preaching is faithful preaching. I never want to demonize anybody. I never want to put down other people. But I know that our pulpits are filled today with much humanism, mysticism, universalism, pantheism. God is kind of everywhere. You can just kind of choose God. Truth is subjective. No, no, no. No, no, no. Here we see Paul remind us, and you gotta listen for it when you listen to preaching. Here and anywhere. Do you hear about Jesus and his righteous life? And your unrighteous life. Do you hear about wrath talked about? That, that wrath is deserved for sinners. Do you hear about blood talked about? The slaughtering of Jesus. It wasn't pretty. Do, do you hear about sin? What sin really is by nature and choice. That it all ingrains our souls. Um, do, do you hear that, hey, the goal of our life is just to be nicer people and better people? Or that the goal of our life is to make much of Jesus who saved us? You've got to listen for these things. Right? You gotta listen in preaching to what they talk about. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an amazing man, look at what he says about this act of preaching and content of preaching. He says, now I wanna go a step further and suggest that this evidence from the New Testament itself, supported and exemplified by the history of the church, leads us to the conclusion that the ultimate justification for asserting the primacy of preaching is theological. In other words, I argue that the whole message of the Bible asserts this and drives us to this conclusion. What do I mean by that? Essentially, I mean that the moment you consider man's real need and also the nature of salvation announced and proclaimed in the scriptures, you are driven to the conclusion that the primary task of the church is to preach and proclaim this, to show man's real need and to show the only remedy, the only cure for it. Brothers and sisters, that's why we're here. That's why if you're sitting in this room, you do not have the mind of Christ. You do not see Jesus as beautiful. You do not see him as lovely. You do not see him as king. Praise God you're here because God wants to send 
preaching to you to let you know that life can be had, that joy can be had, that forgiveness can be had, that mercy can be found in Jesus. And for those of us that are Christians that have been made new by Jesus, we come in every week to be reminded again that mercy was given, forgiveness was given, joy was given, fullness of life was given. Stop bending back to chasing other things for satisfying, you know, identity and security and all the lusts and loves that we want. Let's keep being reminded of this, but this is what remains central. The cure for us, guys, Christ and him crucified, which we go through every New Testament letter Paul wrote, you're going to see that in it. If we move away from that, then you're taking out the very life that's in the preaching of God's word. You don't have life anymore. We don't have hope anymore. And that's why if we look through the Bible, it's clear the preaching Jesus Christ and Christ crucified was central to the early church that was established by Jesus. You see it in Acts when the church was birthed, Paul's words to the Corinthians, the Romans, to Timothy. You can look at Thessalonians. Philippians, that preaching is central and essential to saving sinners and maturing saints. It's necessary. There's no option. Now, I've been talking really about me the whole time. So let's just talk about you for a moment. Here's where you're like squirming. Just like there can be unfaithful preaching, there can be unfaithful listening. Now, now here's why sitting under preaching, we already, we already clarified that God is a God who speaks, that God has always spoken, that's always how he's formed his people and fashioned his people and matured his people and saved his people. But preaching, preaching isn't just exposition of God's word. It's not just exposing what God has said, right? It's, that's not it. It's God and people. Like, you have to have God's word with people. Like, it doesn't make much sense, right, if I'm in here right now and there's nobody in this room and I'm doing this, right? Just preaching to air. That's not the point, right? The point is that preaching has people before it, preaching in front of it. And so, so here, here's what I want to I wanna get at. Um, God, God is worshiped, God is glorified if the word is preached and nobody responds. He's still glorified, Okay. But but God is more glorified. He's brought more glory when the preached word goes out and people are brought to life. And people are transformed. The glory heightens itself. As people more people see and savor God, He's brought more glory, right, through preaching. And so the preacher, right, no matter who's preaching up here, needs to consider the weight of what they're doing and the responsibility. But here's my question to you. Have you considered the responsibility you have in sitting under preaching? It's often not thought of. Here's what I mean. Have you considered what rests on you as your responsibility when you enter this space and get ready to hear from God? Now I love it because you have a group of people that Luke writes about in the book of Acts, a beautiful testimony, the most noble Christians in Greece that he could find. And it's in this little small town called Berea. And in Acts 17, he says this, the saints in Berea were the most noble of all the saints because they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. What a great statement. They were spiritually noble people. Why? They received the preaching with readiness. 
We are to come eager. We are to come expectant. Now, here's just what I want to ask you. Um, When you wake up Sunday morning, what does your readiness look like? I mean, do you you actually think about, man, I'm going to hear from God today. What does your sleep look like Saturday night? How do you prepare to be ready to hear from God? How do you prepare to to be in a place where you worship God through your attentiveness and your eagerness? Is it, man, I can't wait to get here, not just because I want the best spot, because I want to be in here, because I want to prepare my heart, I want to pray well, I want to sing songs, I want to in tune and incline my heart to what God is going to say before me in his word. What does it look like? What does that look like for you? Um, There's a lot of things we could do. You could pray for the preacher and pray for your application. You could read ahead as we go through books of the Bible and just make a mock outline as to how you would give the sermon. So you start thinking through the text. You could get a really good night's sleep on Saturday night. Whatever that means for you. You could try to get the family up a little earlier to try and get here and be ready and prepare your soul and heart. Now, we can't do anything about the Pramus run. That was demonic, <laughs> right? But as best as we're able, right, we try, to, we try to make it, we try to get here. Listen, I'm just curious. What if I told you? Because according to 2 Peter and 2 Timothy, he rolls out, oh, this is God-breathed scripture. This is prophecy from God. This is, this is God speaking. Every time you open up the Bible, you're hearing from God. Okay? What if I told you, let's, just, let's go burning bush. Let's go Mount Sinai, right? What if I said, hey, when you get home at 3 o'clock today, whatever bush in your yard is going to be lit on fire, you go out there, and the God of the universe is going to tell you stuff. You better be there at 3. Who's going to be there at 3 o'clock? If you knew it was going to happen, you didn't think I was a nut job, right? Everybody, everybody. You don't care if people look around going, man, look at, look at my neighbor, man, standing in front of that burning bush. That is, what the heck is he? If you knew that literally God himself was going to tell you something. What if I told you next Sunday, God God who created the universe, God who created planets, God who has the right in Revelation 5 to unlock the scroll to end history and determine destinies. What if I told you that God was going to be here and he was going to audibly speak to you at 10 o'clock? What would that look like? Man, are you kidding me? You don't care if you eat. You don't care if you vomit in the morning. You don't care what happens. Everybody get in the car, kid. Clothes on, no clothes on, right? Just just let's go. Let's get to that place because we're going to hear God. You'd be a lunatic. That's just the truth, right? Here's the thing. God is speaking every Sunday. I mean, God himself is literally giving you his truth. I mean, every time you open up the word at home, God is speaking, These are God's words. I mean, just count how many times in the Old Testament says, thus says the Lord. I mean, he just testifies for itself. This is a book that is just God talking to you. And I feel like we've lost the awe of this is God speaking. Every time you open it up, every time you come in Sunday morning, God wants to say something. And he wants to say something that he's already said. He's not looking for you to come in and get wowed by some cute new theology or point. He wants you just to be reminded. Man, this is... You have an appointment with him. I know this is rare. 
I know people are like, man, I only want to sit under 20-minute sermons or 15-minute sermons. I know we preach 45, 50 minutes, but it's because we love to hear God talk. We know there's an appropriateness to it. We know there's a, a management to it. But, man, we want, we want to see what God would have to say to us. Let me just say, brothers and sisters, most people just want an experience. They just want something else to make them feel outside of they just want something added, right? Is there feeling in Christianity? It's deeply emotive, absolutely. Pastor McKinney talked about that last week. But is that the barometer for truth? No, I, I think of a friend who two years ago was telling me about, he was sitting in an evangelical fellowship at a school at a college. And they were at this college and, and they said, hey, we just want to hear God speak. We want to hear God talk to us. So you know what they did? They sang some songs, and then they just sat there, and they said, we're going to pray till God says something. And their Bibles were sitting on their laps. <laughs> I'm going, God's spoken. Like, just open, it's right here, it's three inches from your hand. Like, just open up the Bible. I mean, it's right there. You're sitting here just meditating, mystical, waiting for, I don't know what you're waiting for. Like, yes, do we, do we pray? Is prayer important? Of course, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. But, but, man, God's speaking. You don't have to sit in your chair and meditate for 20 minutes just going, man, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear you say something. He's going, man, I have said it all. I've said everything you need to know. I said at the end of this book, don't you dare add to it or I'll kill you, right? He's, he's serious about this. So, man, you want to know. You've got the word right here here. I'm going, man, these guys could open up their Bible, sit in a lapse, and you're going to see everything. You want him to speak? He's already said it. Right? That, 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 that's, that's this whole idea that we go outside of everything, but the, the ways that God, I feel like God's so often is going, man, I just can't believe this. I, I created you as a people to read, to think, to be cognitive as a human being, as a way of wired your DNA and your brain and everything else, and, and here it is right, right before you, written in perfect form, translated in ways that you can understand it, and you can't just simply open it up. You're calling on me to say something when I give you 66 perfectly disclosed books to talk about who I am and what I've done? It's hard. It's challenging, right? It's challenging for me to remember in the daily grind to get beyond and behind the curtain and go, hold on a second. I've got sitting right here what God has actually said. He's actually spoken. Here's how we'll land the plane because I want to make this practical for us. I love that God speaks in the beginning and creates, then he speaks through what are known as the prophets, and then obviously he speaks through preachers, but scriptures tell us one of those profound and right ways he speaks to us is through his son, which was the word, John 1, word was made flesh, dwelt among us. It teaches us, look at what Hebrews says, Hebrews 1. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Guys, the whole point of the Bible is Jesus Christ. Right? We talked about that. Right? He's the hero. The whole point of God's revelation, of God speaking to us, is so that you would know that everything orbits around his word, and his word most primarily, which is his son, which was made flesh, which teaches us. Right, the word in Jesus Christ, the spoken word of God, is Jesus. And his word that was made flesh, as we come in and we sit together under truth, speaks to every area of our life. 
I love it. Because he is truth. He embodies truth. He speaks to, and this is all done primarily through the personal work of his son, right? So when I say Jesus, and I think when Hebrews is saying Jesus speaks, it's the embodiment of all that Jesus is in Jesus reconciling and making right what went wrong post-Genesis 3. So all of us that have fracture, pain, identity issues, self-esteem issues, anxiety, fear, failure, shame, condemnation, you can just roll out the list, pride, sin, things that are screwed up in affections, emptiness, longings. He speaks to all those things in the person who worked the wrath-absorbing cross of Jesus Christ so that as we see that, declare that, hear that, read about it, see it in the word, it actually shapes and forms us and speaks to us in a way that is helpful and necessary and life-giving. And so, so that's what we have in Jesus. He speaks perfectly to you. That's what's beautiful about God of the Bible, the only true God, the only one God, is that that God is the only one who can actually deal with the human heart because he made the human heart in ways that no other gods can. And so as we sit and some of us, our weeks are filled with, I don't know what to do with this pain. God speaks to that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I know your pain. I'm the only high priest that can identify and sympathize with pain. I know loss. I've experienced suffering. And guess what? I'm going to give my own life for you so that it can be removed from you eternally. He speaks to it in Jesus. He speaks to that. He actually talks to you in the personal work of his son in that way. Some of us go, I don't know what to do with this emptiness. God speaks to that in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He goes, I can free you from the enslavement of chasing empty treasures, the ones Jeremiah calls empty cisterns that you look for and you long for that always hits the ceiling and never satisfies and makes you more bitter and more angry and more frustrated. If you taste me, the bread of life, drink of me, the living water, you'll never thirst again. Jesus speaks to that. You could keep going. I don't know what to do with my anxiety and my fear. God speaks to that in Jesus Christ. Let me graciously remind you that I am sovereign and you are not, that I care so much about your life that I demonstrated it in killing my son, raising him back to life, saying all affections in me, all control is in me, all authority is in me. I have the right to your life. I have the right to end, keep, sustain it. And I've secured for you eternity where you have rest, where you have joy, where you have peace, where you have freedom and you can have it now and you can have it eternally. He speaks to that in Jesus Christ. Hopefully, the main one is we say, I don't know how to handle my sin. (laughs) I don't know how to handle my brokenness. I walk into my marriage. I walk into the classroom. I walk into my job. I walk into relationships. I walk into this church, and I realize my sin is causing fracture and decay and wrongness. And what do I do with my sin, my brokenness, my idolatry, where I worship everything outside of God, and he speaks to that primarily in the person and work of his son, Jesus. He says, all other gods, not just tribes of Israel, all other gods, you know what they do? They all have to be appeased, all of them. Guess what I do? Guess what the God of the Bible does? He appeases himself through a sacrifice of himself for yourself. Crazy. Don't worry. I'll deal with that. Let me take it. I take, righteousness, I take sin and I gift righteousness. I take wrath and I give freedom. 
I take debt and I set you free. He speaks to all that in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, listen, over the last 200 years, if you track it, every time a mainline denomination has said, you know what, let's just move away from this book. Let's move away from preaching. Let's move away from it being central. Let's tweak it. Let's soften the message of Jesus. You know, they've all fallen into a straight, right decline into the abyss. No fruit, no life, no joy. They just cut the umbilical cord that was in the womb. And that's why, brothers and sisters, God has an appointed means for us to be made new and to keep walking in newness of life. And that's through the preaching, the telling, the heralding of this. So as long as you attend here and as long as we've been together, this has remained central. And it must remain central. That means we walk through verses that you may not like. It means we're going to walk through verses you don't want to hear and you do want to hear. It means we're going to do everything we can to fight for the fullest counsel of God we can get by looking at what the scriptures say and declaring it, knowing that this is how God has designed it. God has not been foggy or unclear or unsure of how he wants his people to order and operate when they come together. He said, I want my truth to go forth. I've wanted it to form and shape who you are. We trust him. It's for our joy and his great glory. So I want to encourage us as we take the Lord's Supper, which is the visible word, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, um, that this right here is what we're, we're centered on, Jesus' broken body and Jesus' shed blood. That's the only thing that we celebrate. It's the way he's spoken to us is through the person and work of his son. So Jesus gave us the table to see it as a gift and a grace. So that as we take of it, we say, God, you're good. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're kind. You've spoken to me in this way to every one bit of my needs. So when I take this, I celebrate you. I'm reminded of you. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15. This is of first importance. This is the life. This does not give righteousness. This does not give merits. This does not add favor to God. But it's a gift he's given his church. And he does say, if you're not a Christian, if you do not enjoy God, if you do not love Jesus, if you've never trusted in him, made him your Lord and Savior and said he's my allegiance, he says, do not take from this table because this is our for those who are mine. So, so we want you to know, Christian, non-Christian, Christian, come to the table. Non-Christian, don't come to the table. Examine your heart, both. Test yourself. Ask God if you're not a Christian, God, Reveal yourself to me. And let me tell you something. He has revealed himself to you through the preaching of his word this morning. Praise God that he wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. For those of us who are Christians and we love him and know him and have submitted our lives to him, maybe just do some research and inventory in your heart before you come to the table Paul says to examine your heart. Maybe examine just what your readiness been like in, in, in listening to God's word as an act of worship. That we actually worship as we sit under his word preached. What is that like for you? What needs to be changed? What needs to be tweaked? What needs to be altered? What conversations might need to happen? And then let's praise him because he's good and he makes us right based on nothing that we do. God, thank you that you're a good, gracious king. God, we marvel at the way that you've established your people and formed your people. We marvel that you are a God that speaks to us. God, thank you for not remaining undisclosed and hidden. God, thank you that we can know you. 
Thank you that we can confess sin knowing that you'll forgive. Thank you that for being in Christ, we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear wrath. We don't have to fear punishment because you bared that for us. God, would you help us as a people to keep you central, to keep your message central. God, help us where we need help in preparing our hearts to hear from you and to know you and to experience you through what you've given us in what is the telling and heralding of your scriptures. God, might worship continue on Sundays when it not just be Lord's Supper or singing or giving or preaching alone. Might we see all of what we do as worship to you. Help us in Jesus' name, amen.